So would you guys welcome up Randy Weiser? Why don't I just uh, pray for you and cut you loose? Jesus, I thank you so much for Randy. I ask that you would um, help him to clearly communicate the things you've put on his heart. I ask that your word, as it's um, as we read it and as uh, Randy shares on it, that your spirit would move through it um, in our hearts, Lord, that it would transform our hearts, not just uh, uh, an encouragement or uh, a little devotional, but it would be something that uh, would challenge us to grow and would be a time of meeting you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Yes, sir. Am I on now? I am. Yes. Good morning. Uh, good morning to our visitors from Oregon and Fairbanks and uh, across the bay and other places. Yeah, I was talking to Aaron and I was telling him how much I enjoyed the book of Job. And he said, fine, teach on it. So... Here I am, um, but I have the mic, however well it's working now, so I don't have to talk on Job now. I was thinking maybe the Mueller report, we could talk about that, <laughs> you know? or climate change, the border wall, or even the Homer Winter King Festival, we could talk about that. I would say about that, it's a good thing it's not on Sunday, otherwise uh, there would be a few people with here in chairs this morning. Um, <clears throat> but I do like the book of Job, and um, I want to talk about that. So let's see if we can make this work. There. So this is, this is my Bible in the book of Job. Um, I can't read through Job without taking notes, and my problem is I'm kind of running out of space in my Bible to take notes. So, in contrast, um, this is my Leviticus. <clears throat> so, I can read through Leviticus without taking any notes. I read it, but when I get to Job, I get much more um, inspired reading through it. So, actually, what I want to talk about this morning if the remote is going to cooperate. Okay, I want to talk about a knot hole. A knot hole that um, I discovered in the book of Job. When I'm talking about a knot hole, I mean there's a fence there and we can't see what's on the other side, but if you walk down the fence, you just might find a knot hole that you can look through and you can see what's on the other side. So I'm going to give you an example. This is going to be painstaking. So, this is, uh, <clears throat> this is, this is a, a, foreign, a foreign king uh, at war with Israel, and he he's keeps uh, going in to attack Israel, and the prophet Elisha keeps um, um, wrecking his plans to... Uh, to take over Israel. So he's furious at the prophet Elisha and he wants to, um, he wants to find Elisha and take him out, basically, is what he wants to do. So he told his men, uh, 
Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, is he in Dothan? And he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. So he went right into Israel, found out what town Elisha was in, and he surrounded it with his army. And uh, in the morning, his attendant, his assistant, uh, got up and went out outside the city gate. And he looked, and an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servants said to him, we're done. They found us. It's all over. Uh, they're going to kill us now. And Elisha told him, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant looked around and he said, those with us, it's me and you, Elisha. And there's an army out there with horses and chariots. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open this man's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So there was this huge army out there. But Elisha could see what the servant couldn't see. And he said, Lord, let him see. And that's what I'm talking about when I say uh, a knothole. He let him look through and see what was out there. And he realized there was angel armies out there and nothing was going to bother Elisha that day and in that place. And so <clears throat> this is how it is. There's things we can't see, the whole world that we can't see. And, and the Lord from time to time opens our eyes or gives us a knothole to look through and we can see what's going on um, out there. And some I know have actually had that experience. If the Lord was to open our eyes in here, who knows what would be in this room with us. Um, but I know some who have. Uh, the Lord has opened their eyes to see angels like that. I never have. But for the rest of us, there are these knotholes in Scripture. When you go through the uh, Scriptures from Genesis to Revelations, there's these places like the one we just read where we get to peek and see what's on the other side. Well, in the book of Job, we get one of those knot holes. And it's really a unique knot hole, different than any other view that we get anywhere in the scriptures. And I wanna, I wanna look at that. Uh, but first, let me just kinda set the background a little bit to go through the scriptures and uh, just look in a few of these knot holes that we have to see what's actually going on on, on the other side of that um, fence. So we'll just do our best. Okay, this is Jesus when he's walking on the earth with his disciples and they're discussing spirits, spirits that have come in and take over people's life and he's instructing them to break that bondage that these people are in from these spirits. And then he makes this comment, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is uh, kind of a weird comment. Where did that come from? But he's saying, I was there. I saw when Satan fell from heaven to earth like a lightning bolt and he struck the earth. Well, I'm sure the disciples didn't know what to do with that, um, <clears throat> but we get a bigger knot hole in Revelations. So this one here, he explains it a little bit. And there was war in heaven. Michael, the archangel, who we know from Daniel and other places, was waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. There was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. This is what Jesus witnessed. Thrown down, the serpent of old, who we meet in Genesis 3, 
um, also called the devil and Satan, who have deceived the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And to read another place, a third of all the angels sided with the devil in this um, uprising or coup attempt or whatever it was in heaven. A little bit disappointing to hear that going on in heaven. But that's what happened, and they were defeated, and they were thrown down to the earth, and Jesus saw that happen. And then he makes, when he's encountering these spirits in his time on earth here, this is the typical response of the spirits when they run into Jesus. What do you want with us, Son of God? They knew who he was. They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? This is almost always the response they have. What are you doing here? Is this the time? Have you come to do the final uh, sentencing and judgment and the, and the punishment um, for us? But it's not the appointed time. They're worried that it was, but when we read through, we, we now know that wasn't the appointed time. It's still yet to come, in fact. And so Satan and his angels are waiting to be sentenced. They're thrown down um, here to earth and now waiting that sentencing and the judgment that's going to come. He says in another place, Rejoice, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You can rejoice because the devil was thrown out. Woe to us down here because the devil has come to you having great wrath and knowing that he has only a short time. So he knows. He knows the time is coming. He doesn't know exactly when that is. And they're worried that when Jesus was there, um, that was the time. So they're here. The devil and his spirits are here. He's angry about it, and he's dangerous. He's called the serpent. And we know what he did in the garden. He shows up in the garden and the great uh, damage he did there. So with that background of this conflict that's going on in the heavens, God and Satan and some of the angels and, and the others with Michael, this is going on, and now they're waiting. There's going through the legal proceedings leading to this sentencing, um, apparently. So now we come to the book of Job. And uh, I personally feel that Job is a very significant event in this whole thing played, played out beyond the other side of the fence between God and Satan and the angels and that, that sentencing and judgment coming, that there's things taking place in here. And I think we get a, get a little insight in the book of Job about that. So the last uh, two Sundays we've gone through this, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. He was blameless. He had seven sons and three daughters. He had his family, and uh, family seemed to be doing well. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. So no, he was a wealthy, uh, influential man in his time and in his, in his place, and doing very well, blessed in everything that we did. So there's just this short introduction to Job in the book of Job, just a few verses, and then immediately he jumps to this. Um, he just changes our viewpoint, and he says, okay, this is who we're going to talk about, and then he goes immediately to this. He says, now look over here, I'm going to show you what's going on, what Job doesn't see, only we see. <clears throat> he says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you been? And Satan answered, I think you know where I've been. You're the one who threw me down here. 
roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it, like a, like a caged lion pacing back and forth and waiting for someone to stick their hand between the bars so he can let them know how he feels. But when you look at this portion here, there's something going on here. All the angels are gathered there. Satan, and I assume the angels who sided with him, are all gathered there, and there's some kind of event. But it's not a war or a battle like we see in Revelations. There's not all this uh, fiery chariots stuff going on. It looks more like a courtroom drama when you read through this and the other scriptures in context here. There's a charge made, there's an accusation um, made here, and that's like an investigation is going to take place, like a grand jury investigation to see whether these charges will hold up. And then we kind of jump into it in the middle of it. Um, <clears throat> this, there's a dialogue going in here, and it's like we come in in the middle of it, and the Lord said to Satan, um, have you considered my servant Job? So when we read through it, it looks like he's, he's giving Job as a model of the right relationship with the Lord. Have you considered him? And Satan comes back and answers. Apologize for this. Too. Um, <clears throat> Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? And what he's saying here. Well, he says, have you, made a, you have made a hedge about him and his house. Look at him. You've blessed him. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's done so well. Uh, you've protected his family. Um, it's just all of your blessings in life. Take that away and see what Job thinks of you then. So this is, uh, this is the accusation that's made. And this isn't against Job. This is, is it's against God that um, he's saying, why do you think they so willingly bow to you and worship you and call you God? Is it not because you've given them health, wealth, and prosperity? You've just blessed everything that they have and give them anything, everything that they could want. You do that and return, they are willing to bow down to you. Now he's saying this in front of all these angels. They're all gathered there. And he's saying... In my reading of it, the devil is saying, I don't play that game. Um, my worship isn't for sale. And <clears throat> because I won't go along with that, you throw me out of heaven, and now you're going to sentence me and punish me. And he's saying, is that just? That's his challenge. Is that just what God is doing? If I just play along with it and give him what he wants, he'll give me what I want. But I won't um, do that. So, if you think about it, you know that is true. There are cases where that is true, and there's a really good example um, here. Then Jacob, this is with Jacob. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, keep me on this journey through life that I take, give me food to eat and garments to wear, everything I need, and he keeps me safe all the way back to my father's house, then the Lord then the Lord will be my God. So this is exactly what Satan is saying. It's this, um, it's this transaction relationship. Um, <clears throat> you give him what he wants, and, and you give him, they give you what you want. 
So, um, this is where the, uh, the Lord says, okay, what about Job? Have you considered Job? Have you taken a look at Job? Because the accusation is there's no one who really has a relationship with the God that's not just a transactional relationship, like Aaron talked about last week. So now, Job, without knowing anything about this, he doesn't get to see what's going on in this great um, hearing up in the sky. He is called as a character witness for God to prove Satan wrong in this, that there, is, there are those who worship God not for what he does for us, but for who he is. He doesn't know what's happening, and Satan thinks he's, he's confident that he can get Job to um, confirm what he's accusing God of. So he says, if I got the order right here, the Lord said to Satan, okay, we'll have to see, we have to settle this. And <clears throat> if what you are saying is true, then actually Satan is off the hook, I think, in this. Um, so he says, take away everything I gave him. Everything I've given Job, you take away. So he does that. But we know <clears throat> in this that there are certain ground rules. They're wanting to see Job's response. But once they take everything away, then the Lord has to step aside and Satan has to step aside and see what Job's response is. They just have to wait and see how he responds to it. No coaching from either side. So I actually found a, a picture of Job, an actual picture of Job that's been preserved for I don't know how many years. And uh, this is how we see it from our side of the fence. This is Job, and he's just getting the news about this loss. He lost everything in one day, everything he had. He lost his family all in one day. All of it's gone, <clears throat> taken away from him. But if you move over and look through the knot hole I'm telling you about, this is what's actually happened here. You can hear it even. <clears throat> so this is, yikes. This is, uh, this is all the angels, legions of angels that have been gathered together there this one day. And they're all the good angels and the bad angels and Satan and the Lord. Everybody is there. And Job thinks he's out looking over his farmland, but actually there he is. You can hardly see him right down in the middle of the playing field down there. And he's the one everybody is watching to see um, what happens. And <clears throat> like we said, he lost. We know in that moment, just in a short period of time, he found out that he had lost everything. He went from wealthy to welfare in one day. And he lost his family and his kids and likely his kids' his spouses and his grandchildren were probably all gathered there. And he's lost everything. So everybody is watching. What words will come out of his mouth? What will he say about a God who treats him this way after all he's done? And Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, he did not sin, nor did he blame God. And I suspect there was this great stirring in that stadium of all the angels. They're going, wow, look at that. It's not true what Satan says. He is, he does have a relationship with God 
uh, for, for who he is and for not what he does. He doesn't even ask why. Job doesn't say, why God, why would you do this to me? That doesn't even come in. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, <clears throat> and uh, so it looks like Saban is proved wrong, but Satan immediately comes back and answers and says, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. So you understand what he's saying here? It's a valid point he's making, and the Lord agrees this is a valid point. And that is when you can take everything away, but when, you, when his life is hanging by a thread, you can't predict what your response will be when your life is hanging by a thread. And I have a good example of this. Uh, some of you enjoyed Aaron's fireworks last New Year's Eve out on the spit. Yes? Only I? Some of you are out there in this 20-minute this fireworks going up in the air and uh, just great um, sound and fury. Um, Aaron could do that because we used to do that every New Year's Eve in the Philippines in our front yard. And not just us, but almost every household in Manila had their own similar fireworks display like that. Uh, we could buy a carload of fireworks for about $50. So the kids actually did this every New Year's Eve. They would put it together. Well, the last one we did, Nathaniel, our youngest son, was the oldest boy home. And Anna and Omega there were with them, and, her, and some of their friends were there. So Nathaniel went out in the street. So Marla and I were just sitting here in front of our house on a bench. And so he's only 20, 30 feet away in the street. You don't drive in Manila on New Year's Eve because the fireworks to plays are in the street. So he's just right out here, and he's lighting these off, and he's, wow, and amazing, beautiful. And then he saved his, uh, his grand finale was a, a box of about a dozen, um, these big cush balls that go up and boom, and this big, beautiful thing like that. And so you light it once, and then there's, they go off one after another up into the sky above us there. And it was awesome. <clears throat> what we didn't realize that after some of them had gone off, the box got a little um, out of balance and it tipped over and it was pointing right at us <laughs> in the street. <clears throat> but we didn't see that. We're just, wait, where's the next one? And all of a sudden, boom. And I think it missed my head by about that much. It went by, by my head and hit um, the, the house just exploded and there was this big blinding light and Marla was sitting right beside me and I didn't know what happened I had no idea what happened all I knew was it was, this, it was, by, it was like being hit by lightning just this huge explosion this blinding light I didn't know where I was and all of a sudden boom another one went off and <clears throat> And we're under attack. And so I, I just got to my feet and I kind of stumbled out just a little bit over there into the driveway trying to figure out what was happening. And, uh, and then finally it exhausted all of them and stopped. And I went, I'm alive, I'm still alive. And, <clears throat> and we figured out what happened, but then it hit me, oh, where's Marla? And I hadn't thought about Marla. This is very uh, embarrassing for me. But all during that time, she was sitting over the bench wondering where her husband was. 
And I'm trying to save my life going off over here. And you can't really predict what you'll do or say when you're transitioning from life to death. There's that period in there where you'll surprise yourself. I just assumed all these years, in a case like that, I would throw my body across Marla and save her life. But I got up and walked away and went out to the driveway. <clears throat> so she's a little bit concerned now, I think, about anything that might happen in the future. Well, that's the point that, um, that's the point that Satan is making. It's one thing to take away, but have him hang by a thread, have his life hang by a thread, and then let's see um, what his, what's going to happen to him. So you know the story, they agreed, and the devil went out and gave him boils. And I don't really like that um, description of what happened. This describes it better. This is his friends. It's not just like he has an itchy skin. His friends came to visit, and they lifted up their eyes at a distance, and they did not recognize him. And I've had that happen. I went to visit a friend in the hospital who had cancer, and I went to the hospital and hadn't seen him for a while, and I could not recognize him. They had wasted away so much. Their skin was just stretched over their bones, and it was a horrible, horrible thing. And that's what they're describing here. They did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and each of them tore his robe and threw dust over their heads toward this guy. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. So we're not just talking a few boils that he has. So what's happening here is this. Um, they're waiting to see now what will Job's response be to this situation. Um, what words will come out of his mouth. And the devil is saying, wait for it, wait for it, watch him. And so they're watching Job, waiting for him. And here's where the devil cheats. They had the, the ground rules, um, but now he's getting a little bit nervous, so he jumps down onto the playing field to help Job along a little bit. Uh, what we see is this. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and, and die. But if your eyes are open, do you realize the devil snatched her voice box, jumped down onto the playing field, and screams at Job, What's wrong with you? What good is God? Curse him. Because everything hinges, Satan's case hinges on Job cursing God at this point. And now he's taking a little bit too long to get to that point. So we watch for Job's response. And Job said to her, not realizing this was actually the devil, he said, sweetheart, you sound like the devil. Be careful what you say. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And all the angels went, wow. He, it's, it's not true what the devil said about men. There are those who are not worshiping him because of what they get from him, but because of who he is. So in the book of Job, this is just the first two chapters. In the book of Job, this is the end of that hearing in the heavens. 
uh, with the devil. We don't hear from the devil anymore after this. We go on from the next 40 chapters. The Lord says, okay, while we're here, we're going to work on some other things. But this, this case filed by Satan against God, this accusation made doesn't stand. And it's denied or dismissed. And my opinion is then that allows the legal proceedings to move forward that are going to lead to the sentencing and the, the judgment of Satan and those who joined with him. The thing is, Job knows nothing about any of this. He didn't have any idea what was going on until the book came out and then he read it and found out what he had done. <clears throat> so we would say here, um, how would you say that? Good job, Job? No. Good job, Job. Um, <clears throat> he came through for the Lord in this uh, great um, hearing in the heavens. So let me say now, you know I did a lot of speculating there, right? I tried to fill in a lot of the blanks, and some of that may be uh, not accurate at all, may not be exactly the right way to look at it. But I think basically that's kind of the idea what happened. But if you disagree with that, that's fine, actually. I wouldn't try to defend much of it because it's, it's primarily looking at it and trying to piece it together and come up with an explanation of what happened. So regardless of that, whether you agree, there are some takeaways for us. I have three takeaways. You can take your pick about which one you want to take home. First one, when... Uh, terrible things happen to you, you should not automatically assume that it happened because of some sin in your life. So, <clears throat> in the Philippines, when we, the work we did with blind people there, we, we did actually thousands of surgeries to restore sight to those who are blind. Um, out, in the, out in the rural, out in the provinces, we, um, we took volunteer doctors and restored sight to quite a few, many thousands of people who were blind. But it was interesting to talk to people and, and find out why they thought they were blind. And there's a whole different, just a whole list of interesting reasons why they thought they were blind. We knew it was cataract, but they had other theories about it. And one of the common was, is that they went to bed with wet hair. And that was probably the most common reason. And who knows, maybe there's something to it. But we can, we can fix the cataract, just be careful next time when you wash your hair that you dry it before you go to bed. Well, the way that works is that anybody who goes blind, um, if they think about it, they can remember back to that one time they went to bed before their hair was dry. And then it's confirmed that's what it was. <clears throat> the same thing happens when some tragedy comes into our life. If you stop and think about it, you can think of something you did that you should not have done in the past. And then you try to make that link. And that's what I'm pointing out here. You shouldn't do that. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. If the Lord wants to point something out, let him point it out. But you shouldn't go digging and looking for, what can I attribute this to? Because you may get it wrong. Uh, in Job's case, he was blameless. There was nothing he did that led to this, these tragedies in his life. And it could very well be true with you too. What we can do is um, 
You should do this regularly, not just when you have a tragedy in your life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be a routine that you do regular in your life. Lord, I know there's things in here not pleasing to you. Help me to see those. But be careful about linking it um, to something that you remember that you did because that may not be what's up at all. Okay, second one. Sometimes for reasons we cannot know, God may need to step back when we need him most, like he did with Job. Job had to, the Lord had to stay back and let, you go, let Job go through this alone. And it's, it happens other times in the scriptures. And I can think of times in my own life when I felt like the Lord stepped back and, and I couldn't really access him to go through this particular situation. Well, there's one in the, uh, in the scriptures that's a good example. And this is when Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, whom the Lord knew, had been in their home, and uh, he got sick. And Mary, Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus, maybe a couple days away. Jesus, please come quickly and pray for our brother Lazarus. He's very sick and we're worried about him. Jesus got the message and he purposely delayed. He chose to stay until he heard that Lazarus had died and then he, then he traveled down to where they were mourning. <clears throat> and therefore, when he got there, Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you when we needed you? Why couldn't you have been here? And we know he purposely wasn't there. He purposely chose to not be there in that time for the greater good. Uh, what, what the plan was in that. So this may happen to us in similar situations and we may never know um, why it was. This is the thing to keep in mind though. <clears throat> when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He couldn't be there. He chose not to be there, but it doesn't mean he was absent or absent without leave. He was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit by what had happened. <clears throat> and he was going to um, make it better. So sometimes you have to go through things alone. You may not get the answers. I know in Marla's uh, case when she was badly burned, in a boat accident when she was a teenager. She wondered for years, why, Lord, why did that happen? And all that came along with that, five months in the hospital and in a very difficult, long um, recovery, and she never got an answer. Uh, But finally she came to the place where she didn't need an answer anymore, and she wasn't asking. She knew the Lord well enough that she didn't need an answer to that and trusted Him with that. But sometimes... Um, you may be in that situation like Job. Okay. Normally I would forget that if I build it in. It worked good. So I want to go to my third take-home. 
for you. Moving from Jacob's concept of God to Job's concept of God happens in relationship over time. So what I'm saying is we probably all start out like Jacob. We have a relationship with, the, with God as if, if I do this, God will do this. And we uh, make that work. God is someone who gives us something in exchange for what we give him, much like you do with HEA. You pay your bill, you get electricity. Netflix, pay your bill, you get movies. Um, State Farm. That's not the kind of relationship that the Lord uh, wants. That's spiritual poverty to live in that kind of relationship with the Lord. And he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to move us from Jacob's concept to Job's concept of who God is. Well, that happens in relationship with the Lord over time as he reveals his character to us little by little. And we can grow into the kind of relationship Job and many other uh, heroes of the faith have done that same thing. So, this is what John says. <clears throat> the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw His glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He dwelt with us, and we dwelt with Him. And over time, we recognize His glory, full of grace and truth. And that's how you move into this uh, far richer relationship with the Lord than, than merely a transactional relationship. And that's where where we are headed. So this is what Paul says. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, anything, will anything separate us from the love of Christ? And he poses this question and then he answers it. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, not even death, Nothing this Satan and all his powers can do. Things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, any created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is what Job understood. And this is what the Lord wants us to understand. And I think, if you like, we can kind of measure our progress along that continuum um, by how, what comes out of our mouth when tragedy strikes. What is our first thoughts? and what things we say. Uh, there's no condemnation from the Lord if you don't say the right things, but he values his relationship with us and he wants to bring us further along and understand who he is, that God is love, and uh, develop a relationship on that basis. So he has a prayer for us as we, whoops, as we move along on that. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's his prayer for us. And that would be my prayer for myself and for you that the Lord will bring us along on that clear understanding of who he is how wide, how deep, how long, and how high his love for us, immeasurable love that he has for us, to the place where we can respond like Job or Paul or many of the others. So here at the church, we have these four ways to respond to the Lord speaking in your heart. 
Uh, we're going into a time of worship now. There's communion tables set up around. If you want to do that, there's a place to give offerings, receptacles for that. Um, or over in this, against the wall over here, if you'd like someone to pray with you about anything that you have on your heart, there will be people there at the end of the service willing to pray with you. So let me say a short prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are revealing yourself to us. You're drawing us to yourself and helping us to better understand who you are and how and what kind of relationship you want with us and how we can best respond to you. Thank you for your patience and for your mercy and especially for your love as you lead us along that path. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hello, there it is. Every time I uh, hear the Job story over again, I'm reminded of a story I heard years ago from my father-in-law. He described a conversation he had with a man who uh, was not interested in trusting the Lord, and the man said to him, he said, uh, if God is so great, if God is so wonderful, then why, why would Satan, when he could see him with his own eyes, why would Satan choose against this wonderful God? My father-in-law said it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit came on him and he knew he had an answer from heaven. He said, you know, uh, the reason is because in that moment when Satan was there before the presence of God, he could not imagine a life and existence outside of the presence of God. He couldn't imagine what it would be like to be distant from God. And so in his foolishness, in his ignorance, he had contempt for God. And that here we are, a people who have never seen God with our own eyes. But the truth is that every time, even as a people who haven't seen him, every time that we choose God, we turn towards value, we turn towards life. Every time we add, uh, we add a, uh, a case to the case against our accuser. It is an act of worship that condemns the deceitful one. Right? And so may we be a people who turn to the Lord. May we always be turning towards his great worth, his great value. And I would just say again, and one of the things that's so great about the story of Job is that turning towards the Lord does not always necessarily have to be a, a, an act of obedience. Even in our sin, a turn towards the Lord can look like repentance, valuing him enough to return to him, right? So return to the Lord. Choose to value Him. Pursue Him from wherever you are. He is infinite worth. Will the Lord bless you. I just want to remind you tonight we have house church. It's junior high. There's senior high. Both of those happening at six. And if you have some time this morning to stick around and help us tear down, we'd appreciate that too. Lord bless you. Catch you later. You're dismissed.